Um, have you ever had somebody you disagree with? Don't look at them. All right, okay. Um, have you ever had somebody you disagree? I'm asking for a friend, maybe. Uh, have you ever uh, had a friend you disagree with in some significant ways? Maybe things like, I don't know, things that you think might be really important. Perhaps politics or uh, maybe the ways they live out their lives, just hypothetically, of course, right? Have you ever had somebody you disagree with like that? Today we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to welcome others and what that can look like. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, some of this will be on the screen, but there's a lot in what we're going to talk about today, so it might be helpful for if you have it in front of you as well. So we're going to keep in this series that Max has been a part of, and we're going to be talking about welcoming today. Welcoming, welcoming. All right, so turn to your neighbor and say, welcome. All right, turn to your other neighbor and smile and say welcome, like you mean it. All right, very good. All right, will you bow your heads with me? Let's pray as we begin. God, you are good. We pray that you would come and that your spirit would teach. Um, and I pray that you would help uh, the distractions, the other things we bring with us, maybe to get out of the way. And God, you pray that you would soften our hearts, to have, that we would hear and be able to obey the things that you invite us into today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Very good. All right, good. So today we're going to step into a scripture, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Now this is a passage called the Good Samaritan Passage. How many of you have heard this before? Okay, how many of you have used that phrase, Good Samaritan, before? Okay, so it's fairly familiar, but we're going to look at some things. It might maybe help us see some things in the text that might help us step into it a little bit more uh, for people like us today. Uh, my friend Sarah is here. Everybody say hi, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Sarah is going to help read the passage as we go. So I'm going to interrupt her. It is by design. Uh, I am rude, but I'm not that rude. So, uh, so that will happen. So Sarah, thank you for, for being with us. So we're going to go ahead and start reading, and, and then I'll try to unpack some of the things we see here as we go. So Sarah, if you wouldn't mind starting. This is verse 20. It says 5, but it's actually verse 25. Thank you. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Great. So some things going on here that are important for us to see. So first, it's really important for us to know who Jesus is. Now, I know you guys have heard of Jesus, I'm pretty sure. But in this particular day, Jesus held a, a particular place in culture that sometimes we don't always notice because we don't live 2,000 years ago. So Jesus was a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. So if you don't know, the word rabbi oftentimes gets translated as teacher. And that's a, that's a good translation of that word. But the idea of a, of a rabbi in Jesus' day, a teacher, was different than our kind of a teacher. So in our culture, a teacher is typically somebody who gives you answers to one specific subject. Okay. So, like, you can probably think of maybe a favorite, I don't know, science teacher you had in school. Anybody? Okay, maybe science was the wrong one. Uh, English? English? Okay, apparently we didn't like school at all. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, like, if you came to me to learn about, say, calculus, it would be a very, very bad situation for you, right? I am aware that there are numbers, and I'm aware that they can do things. <laughs> That's pretty much the end of that. I also know numbers are in phone numbers, I think. But, right, so, but in Jesus' day, a rabbi was different. So oftentimes what that meant was a rabbi would help you learn all kinds of things. 
And it wasn't just about different subjects, although that was true. Uh, they would help you learn not just about things, they would help you learn how to live in such a way that those things were part of your very life. So remember, for Jews, Scripture, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible are really important. They would study it. Most of them would have it memorized by the time they were 15 or 16 years old. Um, it was very, very important to them. So they, a rabbi would help them learn the content of it, but also help them learn how it looked like lived out. So Jesus was a rabbi. He held incredible significance in the Jewish culture. So in this story, it starts with this expert in religious law, which means that he knows all about the law. He studies it. That's his job. So the law in this case means the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So he knows it really well. So I don't know if you know this, but for Jews, they, they've read through the Torah, and they said that there are certain rules that, they, that we need to follow in the, in the Torah. Does anybody know how many rules they have found in the Torah? 613 of them, okay? Most of us in this room I, that I know, if I don't know you, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus, but most of the people in this room that I know, we can't remember 10 commandments, let alone 613. <laughs> so there were 613 of them. Uh, 365 of them are negative in the sense of like, thou shalt not, and the rest of them are sort of positive things, things you should do. And so they would follow all of these. And again, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi like Jesus would know all of these, would be embodying all of these. He, and we know Jesus was perfect. He was without sin, so he lived all of those. The teacher in the religious law, he also would have known all 613. He would have known all about them. Okay, stay with me for a second. I'm giving you lots of information. Thanks. He comes and asks this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's kind of a weird question if you look at it, inherit eternal life. So it means like I'm going to receive something. And in that culture, what that particular question meant was basically this. How do I be in right relationship with God? Not just now, but for the rest of my life, how do I be in right relationship with God? Another way to think about this is they were basically asking this question. How do I follow all 613 of these laws, which are most important for me to follow and pay the most attention to? Now, stay with me just a second more. Now, um, we do a similar thing, but we're a little less formal about it. So in good Jewish, Jewish fashion, they would have listed out all 613, and they would have, like, they have long conversations and arguments about which is more important. Because sometimes our laws, our commandments, contradict each other, right? To do one, you have to violate the other. And so they wanted to know if, if that happened, which one should I follow first and foremost? Does that make sense a little bit? So I'll give you an example from our daily life. So some of us believe that it's important. We believe Scripture tells us that we should come together and worship. Okay, that's something that Jesus even talked about. Paul talks about it often. We should come together as a church and worship. We also believe that like caring for somebody in need is important. Is that fair to say, those two things? Okay, so what do you do if you're on your way to worship and you see somebody who, say, their cars broke down on the side of the road and they need some help? So you have to ask a question, which do I do? Do I not go to church and worship with others, maybe even take leadership there, or do I not help the person that needs help on the side of the road? We have to make a choice, right? I'm not telling you what you should do. We can talk about that later, but you got to make a choice. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so we, all the time we make these kind of choices. They had it in a very formal way. Now, this guy was asking Jesus this, the rabbi Jesus. Now, we're going to get into this now. So... 
He asked him this because he was basically wondering which particular camp Jesus lived in. Okay? Now, in our culture, the easiest way for us to talk about this is sort of the Republican or Democrat kind of camp. Like there are certain questions you ask or certain phrases you say, and then you kind of know, oh, this person is over here with this group. This person is over here. Right, you guys understand what I'm saying, right? Okay. <laughs> You're giving me some weird looks, but I'm pretty sure you understand that. So he's asking Jesus. He's basically throwing down a little bit of a test. Now, okay, next verse we can go to. Sarah, thank you. Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, great. So everybody who is a Jew, everybody, 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 said number one law is this one. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, love God, that's the first and foremost. Nobody would disagree with that. So that one is easy. If you were a traditionalist in Jesus' day, then for you, the list went something like this. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Keeping the Sabbath. No idols. No adultery. Honor your father and mother. And then somewhere down, maybe 12 or 13 would have been love your neighbor. Okay? If you were a progressive, then again, number one was loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two was love your neighbor as yourself. Number three was Sabbath, and so forth. It goes down the list. So by saying this, the man's saying, this is the camp I belong to. I'm in sort of the progressive camp, okay? So I love God, number one, and I love neighbor, number two, all right? So we're going to keep going here. Everybody with me so far? Okay, here we go. Next slide, thank you. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. Okay, so right, you are correct. The rabbi Jesus says, good job. So if you're the, the religious teacher here, the, the, the guy who studies the law, you are feeling very validated. In other words, this man of much prestige and influence is basically affirming that you're doing it right. So again, maybe if you're thinking about the Democrat or Republican debate, and Jesus would say, oh, on this one issue anyway, you are correct. So you're like, I knew it. I knew it all along. I was right. All right. So then it goes on. Stay with me. And the man wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Aha. So he wants to justify himself. So he's feeling good about this one answer he's gotten. Now they have another question. So they would argue about all kinds of things, including this. Who is your neighbor? Okay. So now let me ask you this. Who is your neighbor? Who do you consider your neighbor in the sense that you should be nice to them? So most of us, I think, would say our friends are our neighbors. Everybody with me on that? Okay. All right. Now, you don't have to vote on all these because it might get weird. But all right. <laughs> I think everybody would say our friends are our neighbors. What about your family? Is your family a neighbor, somebody that you should be kind to? Okay. What about the crazy uncle in your family? You know what I'm talking about? who doesn't come to hardly anything and you're not sure actually takes any pride in you at all? What about that one? Is that your neighbor? Okay, and then you, you might push that out a little further. Do you have that person in your family who not only maybe doesn't show up to stuff, but also maybe speaks bad about the rest of the family? And when they show up, they purposely cause conflict, and right? And so, yeah, some of you are smiling, so I guess you know who that is. Okay, so, yeah, is that person a neighbor? Is that person somebody that you should treat 
as you treat yourself. Okay? Some of you are like, yeah, okay. What about, let's just go all the way kind of to a far extreme for a minute. What about people who belong to, say, Al-Qaeda or ISIS? People who purposefully are thinking about how can we kill Christians? How can we purposely, with deliberation, declare war on people who would follow Jesus? What about them? Are they your neighbor? If you saw them, would you say, hey, welcome, glad you're here, I want to treat you well. Okay. Now, again, you, you have to wrestle with that. But my point is this. We all make some lists, right? And we, I don't know what your furthest thing from you would be, but we all make lists and make some choices about how we would do things. So like, like do I think somebody's my neighbor who cheers for Ohio State? No, right? I don't. Right? I, I, <laughs> what about somebody who listens to country music? I, I wonder. I don't know. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you get the point. In Jesus' day, they asked the same kind of question. Who's your neighbor? So, traditionalists said, what about a Jew who's a religious Jew? Yes, absolutely. They say yes, absolutely. What about a Jew who isn't practicing and is kind of secular? So in other words, they're Jewish by sort of ethnicity, but they don't really do anything to practice their faith. Traditionalists would say, yes, that is my neighbor. What about a Jew who's a pagan? In other words, they're maybe worshiping another god or purposely doing things that would be against God. What about them? Traditionalists would say, yes, that is your neighbor. What about the Romans who have come in and occupied our land? They tax us about 60% of our income, 70% of our income. What about them? Are they our neighbor? Traditionalists would say, no. You don't have to treat them the same way. They are purposely against God, against the things of God, against God's people. You do not have to treat them as a neighbor. Okay? That's what they would say. And then they go all the, all the way down the list. There's some others on there. All right. Progressives on this side, religious Jew, yes, of course. What about non-religious Jew? Yes, of course. What about a pagan Jew? Yes. What about the Romans? Progressives said, yes, even them. What about Samaritans? This is the lowest of the low. They would say, no, 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 you don't have to, you don't have to treat them. Okay, so here's all this context. So this guy's asking this question, who's my neighbor? Now, we're going to get into the story a little faster, so thanks for staying with me. Okay, Sarah, if you would continue uh, with reading. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. One other thing you need to know. So this road to Jericho, quote-unquote road, is actually a very small path. Here's a picture of it. This is in modern day, so some of it still remains um, and you can see kind of the way this looks. So it's very barren. It's very, very windy. There are many places you cannot see like what's around the next corner. It's also true that for most of the road to Jericho, from Jericho to Jerusalem, on one side you can kind of see it is sort of a cliff. On the other side is a cliff down. So there's really nowhere to go on this road. It's typically about wide enough for one, maybe two people. So it's hard to even pass somebody on this road. It was known to be a very dangerous road. If you have a misstep, a lot of people would fall and get hurt really bad. So it's dangerous that way. And then it wasn't uncommon for people to be waiting on the road because you couldn't see around the corner to ambush you. So rarely would anybody go by themselves on this road. It's like you just know not to go into that part of town without somebody else. It's the same kind of thing. Like you just wouldn't do this. But apparently this guy is on this road. Okay, and then we're just going to keep going with the story. 
By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on by the other side. Keep going. Thank you. Yes. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Good. One more. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, Yes. Now go do the same. Okay, so some things are going on in this story. Obviously, most of us have heard this, and so we know, like, okay, I should be kind to somebody. That's what Jesus is saying. But there's something much bigger going on in this story that I want you to see and make sure you're catching. So who's the first person that comes down the road? A priest. Okay, now what, where does, in Jesus' day, where does a priest work? In the temple. So Leviticus, remember the laws and the, how we have to think about keeping the laws. Leviticus 21.11 says this, If you are a priest, if you work in the temple, you should not come near or touch a dead body or someone who is dying. It will make you unclean, and that is your job is to stay clean in order for you to work in the temple. It's a law. The whole, basically, chapter of Leviticus 21 is about this. Do not, if you're working the temple, do not touch a body. Do not come near a dead body, a dying body. So, the priest walking down the road, he's not just the jerk. He's not like, I don't care about that guy. There's more going on than just that. He's putting one law to not touch a dead body so he can stay clean and do his job above another law, love your neighbor. He's making a choice, okay? You see how that works? The next one that comes down the road is a Levite, okay? And it says in, in, our, in the NLT, the translation we read, it says a temple assistant. So where does he work? He works in the temple. Same laws apply to him. So he also makes a choice. I'm going to follow one law not to touch this person because I need to stay clean so that I can do my job. That's what I think is a more important thing to do. So he's making choices. These two people are making choices. Does this make sense to everybody? Now here's what you need to know that makes this story really come alive and helps us understand the genius of Jesus' teaching here. Oftentimes in Jesus' day, a rabbi like Jesus would tell a story and to illustrate a point. And usually in the story, it would go something like this. A priest comes down a road and doesn't do what's right. A Levite comes down the road, doesn't do what's right. And then almost always in their story, it was a progressive, remember this camp? A progressive would come down the road and then do what was right. That was the story over and over again. Lots of times they would have told that that way. So you can imagine this teacher of the religious law. So far he's right. Should I love God first? Yes. Should I love my neighbor as myself? Yes, that is the second law I should follow. Jesus said that. Who is my neighbor? So he's thinking he's really excited. So Jesus is telling the parable. Who comes? The Levite comes. Temple wor- or the priest comes. The temple worker comes. And then it should be, and then the progressive comes. 
and the progressive does what's right. But instead, Jesus flips the whole story upside down. And then he says, a despised Samaritan. The scum of the earth. Like this is the person that nobody would say this is my neighbor. Nobody would say we should value them at all. And not only does the Samaritan come down the road, but do you see this? He does what is right. He loves the neighbor. He sees his enemy, the Jew, as the neighbor. Jesus flips everything upside down. So if you were the teacher of religious law, you've been really excited until Jesus said, and then comes a despised Samaritan. And you've been like, oh no. (laughs) This is actually maybe about me and not in a good way. The Samaritan, make sure you see this. So remember, the priest and the, and the temple assistant, they made sure not to touch the body. It was part of the law. Don't touch them. But Jesus' story makes sure that you see the Samaritan comes and he touches him. He puts oil on his wounds. He makes him feel better. He bandages him. He touches him. He picks him up. He puts him on his donkey. He takes him to the end. He takes care of him. He physically touch, 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 touch. In other words, he's willing to do what most even Jews would never, ever do. And this sort of comes to maybe us today. (laughs) Because this story is more than just about being nice to some people. Sure, we should do that. Jesus said even even the the pagans, even the, the people who don't know me are nice to their friends, so what big deal is that? We... We often do those things, but this is a call to do something much bigger, actually. And it's not just a a call to, to be nice to our friends. It's not just a call to be nice to people when they're hurting. It's a call, what about even our enemies? Can we be nice to them? Now, if we're sitting in this room on a Sunday morning at a church, the answer, of course, is yes. (laughs) I will, of course, love even the people I my enemies. But I wonder what that looks like in everyday life. Now, what about the people who believe differently than you and think differently than you? The people you interact with, perhaps maybe on a regular basis. Maybe they work in your office or maybe they go to your school and they vote differently than you and they think differently than you. My wife, Carol, is a travel nurse. She she's a, works in ERs and she um, travels around the country uh, helping hospitals when they have needs. Okay. Um, there one place she was staying, the landlord of this place, I met, I went out to visit, met, and he's a retired Episcopalian priest, so that means he's kind of crazy, and <laughs> he's really funny, and he's really odd, and anyway, he and I just got along really well. There's a lot of things we had in common. He told some great stories. He laughed at my stories, most importantly, and uh, we got along really well, and like they were just like, oh, we hit it off, right, and we were becoming friends-ish, right? And then something really weird happened. Then it became obvious through some things he said that he probably voted differently than me. And he actually watches a news channel that I don't watch. Now, don't ask me later about what that is. I'm not going to tell you anyway. But I just want you, right? So all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) What do I do with this person that I actually really liked, right? What do I do when I encounter that difference? What does that look like for me? 
So, I'm asking you a question here that is on the surface kind of easy to answer, but I think if we get to reality, it's not so easy to answer, which is who is your neighbor? Are we willing to see people for who God's created them to be? Let me put it a little different way. Are you a citizen, first and foremost, of the United States of America, or are you, as Scripture says, first and foremost, a citizen of heaven? Are you, first and foremost, a child of God, or are you, first and foremost, fill-in-the-blank political party or whatever else? And I think what happens often, if we can be honest about where we live today, is instead of allowing the things that matter most, our identity in Christ, the fact that we were born as God's children in his image, those things that are more important, instead of allowing those things to be the most important things, we start focusing on the things that maybe aren't quite, at least in God's eyes, seemingly as important. Are you with me a little bit here? So what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means a couple things. One, I think it means something about what happens when we come together. I think that part of what it means is when we come together, this should be really good news, that we can come together as different as we are because we are unified in Jesus, right? Isn't that good news? You should be smiling. Yes, this is good news. Yes, this is good news. So when we come together, there should be a mark of some kind of joy, like, Wow, we get to come together. And even though Josh roots for the Packers and I don't, we can come together and we can be friends and we can worship together and we can try to help each other because the things that matter most are bigger than just that. Can I get an amen? Yeah. <laughs> it also means that I think it, we need to think hard about what welcome looks like. What does it mean when someone chooses to come and join us? You know, there's this really kind of annoying phrase that, that in, in the New Testament, like that we should receive everyone who comes, even strangers, because they could be like angels among us. And the point of that isn't, oh, you better make, keep God happy. The point of that is you don't know how, like if we treat everyone as if they really matter, that's the most important thing we can do. That's the way of love that Jesus tries to embody. So what would it look like if we actually treated people, everyone when they showed up, with welcome? It should also look like unity. Unity on the things that matter most, right? Things of Jesus, that those things that might call us to a different kind of life. Part of what Jesus was doing in this story that I, don't, I hope you're not, not missing. He was saying in a world that says you're either this or you're this, He said those two things actually don't matter that much at all. What matters most is this. Do you actually love God and love people? Are you willing to see that? Now, I'm going to push you one step further, okay? This one's hard. Most of us in this room that I know, we actually are pretty good about serving people. We like to help other people out. But where sometimes it actually gets difficult is are we willing to receive help from someone else? What about from someone who is different than us or maybe even our quote-unquote enemy? Could we receive their help? Part of what's happening in the story is the Samaritan, the enemy, is the one who is actually helping the Jew. (laughs) Are we willing to be in a community where we not only help others, but we're able to receive the help 
of those in our community as well. I don't know about you, but that one's a little harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the question today is really simple. Who is your neighbor? Will you act like that person is your neighbor? Easy to talk about, hard to live. The good news is Jesus shows us this way, modeled us for us this way, and has promised he will be with us and help us if we ask to live this way. So we're going to go to prayer. I'm going to ask you as we go to prayer, I'm going to ask you just a few seconds of silence as we begin, just to start, just this prayer. God, will you show me places where I can be a better neighbor? And maybe that can be our prayer this week, that God would show us those things and then give us his power, his spirit, to actually act like those people are our neighbors. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time. As we start with just some silence, I pray that you would uh, show us each some places where we could be better God, we pray that you would give us your spirit this week. The same spirit that enabled you to love people in these incredible ways would be the same spirit that would work in us, that would enable us to love people. Max and Jenny, of course, but also the people in this community, people in this room, maybe even the people at our work that are hard to love. We pray that you would teach us to love them as a neighbor, as you have loved us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.